this day within the, the life and the history of our country is a special day because it marks the 70th anniversary of the accession to the throne of our queen, Queen Elizabeth II. A queen, a woman who has served our country faithfully for 70 years. She ascended to the throne on the death of her father, who I think was only 52, or thereabouts when he died in 1952. He certainly was only in his 50s. And although he had been ill, it wasn't expected. And the Queen, as Princess Elizabeth, as many of you will know, was at the beginning of a royal tour, a royal tour originally that her father was to undertake, but she was doing it on behalf of her father. And she was in that well-known situation in Kenya and had been up the treetops to tell and all the rest of it. You'll know the story, at least some of us will anyway. And whatever our views are, whether we are ardent monarchists or closet republicans, I think it's only right, certainly as Christians, that we should pay respect and give thanks to God for Elizabeth's example as a monarch and a ruler over these 70 years, where she pledged herself as a young woman of 21 to serve her people. And today, even in the statement she has issued, she again ends by saying and by writing when the, the statement that she's put out, your humble servant, Elizabeth, ah. And so we give thanks to God for her and for her example. And people tell me that I've met her, and you never saw her yesterday, she was at a, a gathering at Sandringham yesterday. She's a wee soul now. She's, she never was big, but she's shrunk, obviously, and she's got a stick now. But people tell us that when you meet with her, that it's not her, her appearance as such, you know, her regal appearance. She doesn't walk about with a crown stuck in her head and all the rest of it. It's simply her warmth and her concern and her interest that means that she can connect with people. We see that in other members of the royal family. We see that. We have to say in her grandchildren, both Prince Harry and Prince William, the combination of their own mother's concern for people. And again, the example of our queen, we see that. Just unfortunately, Harry, of course, decided to go to America to make his life and living there. But you see that, that engagement. And that's what people respond to. In fact, in a day when often because of social media, people present themselves by their appearance and by their backdrop of where they are and what they have and who they're with. It's often refreshing to meet folk who are just ordinary souls and who don't have any particular outward appearance of might or majesty or anything that particularly would draw attention to them. And yet, as we get to know them, they're people worth knowing. And I hope we've all met folk like that in our life folk that we are stirred to want to find out more about, not because we're nosy, but because we connect and because there's just something about them that draws our interest and our response. Well, when we read the story of Jesus, prophet Isaiah in the great passage of the servant king makes it clear that the Messiah was not someone that was going in his appearance to cause attention. He wasn't Adonis. You know, he wasn't, and he wasn't as a man, outwardly demonstrative or, or very, you know, that kind of way people say, wow. There was no outward sign of that. But you can't read the gospel records, whoever you are, again, not so much whether you're an ardent monarchist or a closet republican, whether you're a fervent believer or a question agnostic or maybe even an atheist, you cannot read the gospel account without at least saying he was a man whose outward appearance wasn't such that we were drawn to him, but whose very life, whose very being drew a response 
and connected with people and caused a reaction, all sorts of reactions. And as we've been looking, as I said earlier, Luke's gospel, and looking at the evidence that Dr. Luke is bringing together of the various incidents and teachings and, and, and examples of Jesus, he's doing that in order to present a case. A case that could stand in a court. A case that tells us and affirms to those certainly who are looking for an answer that Jesus is more than a prophet or a rabbi, or a teacher. Not that people didn't think that was the case. Interesting enough, as we just, and if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to have it open in Luke chapter 8, because we're looking at these things in a panoramic kind of way, in the way actually, probably originally, they were meant to be looked at. I don't think in the early church people sat down and had 50-minute sermons and two verses from Luke chapter 8. They would have had it read to them. The section would have been read to them, and then there would have been a bit of a, a discussion and reflection on it in a broader way. But as we look at this story, and the well-known story, and that to those of us who are people of the church, who've been brought up perhaps in Sunday school, as we heard earlier, and the great benefit of having these stories shared, the story of Jesus in the boat, and the reaction of the disciples. Interesting enough, Luke, perhaps because he's wanting to somehow protect the reputation of the disciples, who of course were leaders of the church by the time Luke's reading the gospel, he kind of maybe tones down a wee bit the reaction. If you look at Mark's version of the story, if you want to flick back in your Bibles to Mark's version of the story, he, he who actually you Peter and had dealings with him, he's a bit more blunt about what happens. Back in Mark chapter 6. No, it's not. Not Mark chapter 6. It's not. Mark chapter Four it is, Mark chapter 4, sorry about that, and the story there, Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, that day when evening came he said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side, and leaving the crowd behind they took him along, just as he was in the boat, there was also other boats with them, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind calmed down, it was the wind died down, it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And Mark tells us the disciples were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Mark gives us a wee bit more of the insight as to the state the disciples were in. You see, probably they had sussed out, or at least they thought they'd sussed out, who Jesus was. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi par excellence. He taught as one with authority. He had just been speaking about the parable of the seed and the sower. Large crowds were drawn. He was also personable. He wasn't like the religious establishment who certainly would never have gotten into a smelly fishing boat with a bunch of rough fishermen. He was one of the lads at times. He would walk about and they would joke and they would talk on the road. And so they had this picture of Jesus. And there he is sleeping in the boat. Not helping to bail out the water. 
not helping to do something about the dramatic situation that was about to swamp them all. And as we said many times before, the disciples, would, or those who were fishermen, would have been inshore fishermen. So to go out into the middle of the lake and to go over to the, the un-Jewish other side of the lake was a no-no. And so they were out of their depths, but not just physically, but in more ways than one. And yet history tells us, and the testimony of many people tell us, that the God who comes to us in Jesus Christ often causes us to get out of our depths to be out of our comfort zone, to move out into an area where we suddenly feel very vulnerable, where the securities that we have in life, the things we base our life upon, are taken away from us. Or that this COVID of the last two years would have done that to some. And suddenly their view of who Jesus is, is changed. He's not just one of the lads. Because if he had, he would have been woken up, wake, and helping out with the water. He was, as the young folk remind us, he was Jesus. He was God. And the question that he asks them, where is your faith? And the question that stirred in their hearts because of fear and amazement, who is this? These are two fundamental questions that we all need to hear and respond to. Where is your faith? And who is Jesus? This Jesus is the one who commands the winds and the waves. He's the one that John tells us is the word. The word that not only became flesh and dwelt among us, but the word that spoke and brought everything that is into being. He's the one who's the ruler of the majesty of the universe. And the power of nature and how frightening nature can be. The power of nature is subdued before his command as he spoke and brought everything into being. So he speaks and commands the winds and the waves. And he will finally speak and consume all of this creation to fire and a new birth and a new beginning. Far more than just a prophet a teacher but then we read on the story and it moves on sails on I was going to say but it does sail on they get to the other side these poor disciples I must have have sympathy for them let's be honest they go out and there's a bit of a storm and all the rest of it then they land on this non-Jewish side and what do they confront when they arrive well we're told that practically soon well as soon as Jesus steps ashore he's met not by a welcoming party not by the mayor of the town and the assembled dignitaries who have come down and said we've heard about you Jesus and we're really pleased that you've come over to speak to us because we know that we are kind of suspect we're, we're, we're non-Jewish we're a best half-breeds, half-casts, uh, you know, kind of mixture of Jews and, and, and non-Jews, or even not even that, and you're at least come to speak to us, so we're here to welcome you and to hear about you. What does he meet? He meets a man who's demon-possessed. And with that connection, we are confronted with a whole other domain. It's interesting sometimes when we are talking to people, isn't it? And we find the different connections, especially true in central Scotland, especially true within the life of the church. Elizabeth was interview well, not interviewing, but she was part, she was present when there was interviews going on this week. And somebody who came in, it was all the wee connections. Oh, I know that person and all the rest of it. Blah, 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 blah. The you, you, Gregor. Can't go anywhere without no Gregor. 
And it suddenly opens up a whole network. Of course, social media provides that. We connect with people all over the place, different countries, different parts of the world. Well, here Jesus is connecting with that reality that we cannot see, that we cannot access through the internet. And humanly speaking, we don't always be able to be aware of, although it's there. And we're not talking about the, the radio waves that fill this church. I'm talking about the principalities and powers. And we're reminded, Paul tells us, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against those principalities and powers. There is another dominion. There is another reality beyond the material that we see around about us. And that reality is confronted as Jesus meets. But notice once again that he has authority over it. It's actually quite interesting, isn't it, that the man gives a statement, almost crudel statement, about who Jesus is. Verse 28, he comes forward, he sees Jesus, he cries out, falls at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. This poor man, filled with these demons, has an insight into Jesus that the disciples don't have. They're only vaguely beginning to get a picture. But you see, my friend, the powers of the Spirit recognize who Jesus is. The devil knows who he is. That's why, of course, he plots and plans to try to thwart him. He's enemy number one. And his legions recognize who he is. And they also recognize that their powers are limited. And you see that as the way the story unpacks and moves on. He commands the Spirit. He gives them, he moves them, he allows them to go into the pigs. They ask, they beg him for permission to do that. And the pigs, of course, are a symbol of all the, of course, that was unclean and ungodly. And they enter into the abyss of the lake. And the man, the man is transformed. And yet, my friends, how sad it is that when the spiritual powers recognize who Jesus is, the people in the town don't. Here's ample evidence of the power of God at work. Here's a man, we're told, who was chained hand and foot and kept under guard and yet broke the chains. And he was living in solitary places, stark naked, no doubt carrying in his body all the signs of damage and wounds. And yet here he is, clothed and in his right mind. And what's the human reaction? Is it a word of welcome? Is it rejoicing that this poor soul has been restored? You know, people don't really understand. There's at least thanksgiving that something wonderful has happened. No, you see, the opposite of faith is not even indifference, it's fear. The disciples had tasted that in the boat. The men and women in the town of the Gerasenes tasted that and embraced it fully. And they begged Jesus to leave. How sad it is over this past two years that I've seen amongst at least some people that fear has robbed them or certainly emasculated and broken faith. The two can't coexist. They're complete opposite of each other. And where one rules and reigns, there's life and liberty. 
the other rules and reigns, you're locked in a place far from God. And Luke continues to unfold the story. The story that we had with the young people that we know again well. Jairus' daughter and the woman who had that bleed. The woman who reached out and touched would have been regarded by Jewish society as beyond the pale. And this is again the picture that Luke's reminding us. Here is a Jesus who almost delights in going beyond the pale. He goes and meets with a fisherman and the she- well, the shepherds come and welcome. That's right, that's right at the very beginning of the story. And that was a bit beyond the pale. And then he hangs about with these fishermen and with a tax collector and with a group of folk, let's be honest, that weren't exactly, you know, the, the, the up and coming, you know, people of society. And then in this story, he goes across to the other side of the lake and has time with a demon-possessed man. And here he is now having contact, at least she reaches out to him, with a woman who was unclean, ceremoniously unclean. She obviously had probably a gynecological problem that obviously nothing could be done about. And so she would be seen as beyond the pale by many people, especially by many Jewish men. And yet already the story of Jesus, a bit like the ripples of water on that lake, the story of Jesus had caused her. And this is one of the things that Luke's wanting to tell us, that when Jesus is about, there is a reaction, there is a stirring, there is a provoking, and there's a drawing of those who are seeking. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Sit by all means in the comfort of your own security. Never ask, never seek, never knock, and you'll be lost for eternity. But begin to ask, begin to seek, reach out. The very grace and mercy of God is there to be experienced, and she discovered that and commends her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And as far as Jairus is concerned, again, here's somebody who is one of the in crowd, who is on the other side of the scale, a synagogue leader. And yet he again, you see, Jesus is that one that breaks down the barriers that separate people from people. You couldn't have got anything more unusual than to have a synagogue leader and a woman who had a gynecological problem, and well, in one sense, metaphorical, in the same room together, connecting with the same man. We tend to connect with people who are like us. And tend to be wary of people who are different. Jesus breaks down those barriers. He is the peacemaker, not only between us and a holy God, but between people. So ideally, within a congregation, yes, there should be a mixed, mixed bag of folks. Elizabeth was one of the few people who will now remember when down the aisle, as it was, to the front, bringing the offering plate would be, an, would be a, a knight of the realm and a coal miner. But that's a picture of what the church should be like. And that's a picture of what we see here. And Jairus seeks him, pleading with him. And notice again that pleading, that begging, that yearning, that seeking, that crying out. And yet Jesus isn't the publicist. There's no TikTok film of him doing the needful. He goes quietly into the home. Even when people say, well, don't bother because she's dead now. He goes, 
He brings a word of comfort. Don't be afraid, just believe she will be healed. And Jairus, the father, with all the passion and pain of what he's going through, and you think of that family with that young lad who's been found never down the well in Morocco, and, and how the king, to be fair, was so moved that he phoned up the family to convey his, you know, his sympathy. Think of that and the agony of that. And yet again, out of their depths, in a place of vulnerability, they allow Jesus to do his work. And quietly, privately, Peter, John, and James come along because they're going to be the three keys to the building of the church in the future. And he takes the child by the hand. And there's no show, no shouting, no fancy, big, long list of words. Simply, my child, get up. And her spirit is restored. And she stands. And he doesn't want the publicity. Notice what he says. He orders them not to tell anyone what had happened. He tells the man, go back to where you come from and pass on the message. You see, that's so different from the spirit of the age. And I'm sad to say, but it's also so different from many people who would stand in a pulpit or a platform today in the church who like to get the public acclaim and how many hits they get on their website and all the rest of it and how well they're known. Can I say honestly, that's never appealed to me. And it many years ago, somebody saying to me, oh, you could be going and speaking to this, that, and other. That's not what it's about. It's about getting to know Jesus better. It's about growing in the grace and the knowledge and the love of him. And all of that takes place here. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? He's immeasurably more than we can ever ask or, or imagine. He's the healer. He's the saviour. He's the deliverer. He's the Lord of creation. He's the man of sorrows and the king of glory. And he's the one who is there and invites us to reach out and to seek him while he may yet be found. That's the Jesus we worship. That's the God we honour. And that's the one who by his spirit comes into our lives. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come in to my heart, Lord Jesus. And who's this Jesus? He's the one who sets the captive free who delivers the demon, who brings back the dead, who heals the sick, and who gave his life for you and your sins. All heaven declares the glory of the one who was slain. Let's stand to sing that song of worship together.
And so the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. And, O oh God, our Father, our prayer this morning is that again, through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would so stir our hearts, you would so fill us with amazement and awe as to who your Son truly is, that we too would not be able to stop or prevent our tongues from telling others of what Jesus has done for us. And not just for us, but for all those people ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven, who, like me, his grace should bring. And we thank you, O God, our Father, as we've read your word again this morning, we've been confronted with the glory of your Son, the one that you sent, the one that you gave out of your eternal purpose to be the Savior, and his ministry amongst those who were outside of the establishment, those who were on the fringes of society, those whose lives were blighted by dark and destructive forces, those who were at the end of themselves, those who were out of their comfort zone, and how, Lord Jesus, the world has so many like that this day, and how we plead for them that eyes might be opened, that hearts might be softened, that ears would be unblocked, and they might hear your gracious call to come unto me. And so we bring you our prayers, and that includes for family members and friends, as we offer you our worship, and as we cry to you for our world. In all its need, come, Lord Jesus, and be known amongst us and your people, your church this day, we 